Hello and welcome to another episode of Quartz Talks where I talk about every and any topic of interest to me that can range from political, economic, social, technological, legal, environmental, you name it, I'll speak about it. Um, Today is a beautiful day. First off, let me start by just saying I hope at whatever time you are listening to this, you are either experiencing a good day or about to experience a good day have already experienced a good day and if not hopefully tomorrow is better. I want to start this podcast in a different way to how I usually start it and I'm going to start with a a philosophical rhetorical question and the question is who do you think you are? Just want you to sit with that question for a little bit and ask yourself who do you think you are? I feel like Sometimes identity is one of those things whereby you're either defined externally or internally. And often one interpretation is at odds with the other. The reason why I mention this question is because this episode is very much about ethnic identity. Um, I want to talk about a topic that is of interest to me, but also matters to my identity and that is about my Ga Adangmi heritage. Um, if you don't know what Ga Adangmi is, Ga Adangmi is an ethnic group in Ghana, from the south of Ghana in particular. And um, I guess we're classed as a minority, I don't know. I think we take up 15% of Ghana, we speak at least two languages. Ga Dangmi is two words, so it's Ga, G-A, dash, Dangmi, D-A-N-G-M-E, or G-A, dash, A-D-A-N-G-B-E. It depends on the spelling that you want to go with. But yes, some of us speak Ga, and some of us speak Dangmi. And um, I speak, well, I don't really speak Dangmi, but I am from the Dangmi side, which is the smaller side of the um, ethnic group. But we're joined... We, 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 we're different, but we definitely are mutually intelligible and very similar. So we class ourselves as one. We have different festivals, but again, very similar, I imagine, genetic profile. So we identify as one. And the reason why I mention Gadangmi people is because where I am from, where my dad's family is from, is a place called Ada. And Ada is on the south. It's in the south of Ghana. It's a coastal town. It's like right next to the ocean. It's like Ada in the ocean. And Ada is very much um, a holiday hotspot for a lot of people nowadays. People visit for fun. It's got very idyllic beaches. They jet ski. The, um, the properties there are amazing to lounge in. It's a fantastic place to go and have fun. But people often forget you know, it's a home for people. I wrote a short story about Ada, maybe two and a half years ago, or maybe even three years ago now, for a platform called Afrida. Afrida is a magazine for African voices. And um, the editor, Nancy Adamora, was looking for submissions to post on the website. And I don't know how I came across it. It was probably just on Twitter. So I was like, let me just submit. And I submitted. 
And Nancy really liked the article, not article, sorry, story, short story. I think it was my first attempt at a short story because I'm not really a short story kind of girl, but the first like published attempt. And um, she eventually asked me to meet her and we just had a great conversation. It really inspired me to basically keep writing. And um, I think in the topics I was addressing in that short story, I was unconsciously bringing forward my fear of erasure. At that time, I saw a lot of language about Ghana being developed in terms of basically shifting it from a West African country to, like, a tourist hotspot. And naturally, I grew concerned because tourism can shift a country. Um, Of course, it can build the, the economy, but it can naturally change the cultural dynamic. And me having never visited Ghana, I felt an element of protection over there. I won't lie, I felt a bit selfish. I was like, wait, so everyone's going to get to go to this country before I do? Now, of course, that's my fault. I should have just visited earlier. But it was more to do with why is it that when we visit a country or visit a new place, that place is forced to change and adapt? Why can't it just be how it is, who it is, you know? And um, it's got me thinking about the markers of ethnic identity. Such as it, so just to give you a bit of like background about myself, of course this podcast is called Corpse Talks, but my real name is Koko, as Shoganian, that's how you would say it, but in England I just tell everyone to pronounce it Koko, it's spelled K-O-R, K-O-R, and it's a Dangmi name, my surname is also Dangmi, I'm pretty sure, yeah, yeah, I've read it in like Dangmi literature, so it's like I'm a, even though I'm not fully dang me actually I'm really a quarter but my name is like fully dang me so um koko basically means second born to a king so it essentially means princess and um I'm, it's a name I'm very proud of it's a name that makes me very identifiable and um it's a name that I've learned to love and in doing so have learned to love my I, identity that I've associated with it and um, as a Ghanaian woman even though I'm born and raised in Britain I'm very aware of what goes on back home just because my name doesn't allow me to forget every time I meet a new person it's what what's your name um what's the meaning of your name where are you from and it's like a constant reminder of my roots and Ada is a place I want to go so badly but I'm also very aware of what's happening in Ghana because it, of its tourism. Um, they're experiencing a lot of change, and that's kind of what I want to speak about in this episode, um, basically on the topic of environmental racism. Environmental racism, as we know it for a lot of people, is often the placement of either my marginalised or minority minoritized communities in less than appealing areas of the environment so for an example perhaps if there's like a big fossil fuel factory or some unsightly nuclear plant in either a busy city or coastal town or whatever you will often find that minorities or marginalized people live nearer to those areas because those areas are cheaper and and that brings the 
price of the, the properties down so they can afford it. And naturally, in the Western world, where you do get a high immigrant population, those populations that are near those high polluted areas are of colour. And it's impossible to ignore because it's just so blatant and it's manifested in many people of colour developing issues related to those pollutants, either in the air or the water, it even goes to food. That's a whole nother topic about the access to food. But I'm just trying to stick to the environment. But if I do bring it up in terms of food, understand that the agriculture is very much linked to the environment. So you get this this constant stream of racism permeating every area of people's lives, not just the interactions they have in public life or in certain institutions, but literally the street they walk down, the air they breathe and the food they consume. So in relating this to Ada, Ada chiefs are basically in conflict with government, often protesting because Ghana is very keen to, as they like to say, update itself. And as a result, they are essentially leasing what I would consider protected areas in Adar. Even though I don't know if they're legally protected, I would class them as protected areas in Adar to people who probably shouldn't have control of, of it. So let me just give you some background information of this. In January 2021, some indigenous people of the of a clan in Adar, the clan is called Turk Pebiawe. By the way, I'm from the Kabiawe clan, so it's a different clan, but we're all Adar people. Um within the greater Accra region, they we 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 are basically what we call the custodial owners of the Songot Lagoon. And um, as a result, the Adair people have been protesting against a lease, a mining lease, which was granted to a limited company in Ghana to mine salt in the area. Now, Adair is known as a salt mining town in Ghana. The Songol Lagoon is very well known in Ghana to have expanses of salt. Pre-colonially, it was a source of income for a lot of people. To this day, it still is. But now, this protected area is being leased out to a limited company. And Adair people are being deprived of not only a source of money, but a source of food. Because salt goes on food. And who's to say how this mining will be done? What kind of pollution it will create for the people living in this area which is why I stressed the transformation of areas going from towns to tourist cities because they are built to accommodate foreigners they are built to accommodate tourists but never to accommodate the people that live there you know it's a huge inconvenience and there people very much need this salt mining lagoon for themselves not for the benefit of a huge corporation that either has different sources or is just coming to damage the area. And I mentioned this because Ghana has had a habit so far of doing things that don't benefit its local people. No, 
and then you wonder whose side are you on essentially just a few weeks ago Leonardo DiCaprio released a statement in in relation to Ghana wanting to mine in the Atewa forest and he asked them please don't do this um they wanted to mine bauxite in the middle of this forest and this forest is fantastic it's rich in biodiversity and animal life and resources and it's one of the few areas of the world that is still intact as a reserve a natural reserve that isn't been victim to again a mining situation but Ghana's on that up and up with developing 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 to the exploitation of its natural resources and if Leonardo DiCaprio an American actor Hollywood superstar can come and say this to Ghana even though I don't really like the dynamic of you know a white superpower or European superpower telling a African or Asian superpower what to do because of course the optics are always off but in this situation he is correct you know um and it's it's important to condemn this kind of behavior by governments because there isn't regard for the people or the land or the animals when people excessively mine for for, for resources you know we think about mining in terms of demand and I'm assuming these people believe that there's some kind of demand for it but there has to often be alternative and more renewable resources that should be evaluated before we just dig deep into the ground for stuff that we just can't afford to do not monetarily but in terms of human and environmental cost a lot of us have seen the effects of climate change as a result of the global warming situation we are in we had Donald Trump denying it denying it yet every summer gets hotter in Britain there's a time in, in summer in Britain where you would not even see a lick of heat you were lucky to see a lick of heat that's blazing every summer we are seeing phenomenons of ice coming over from i think china to russia in like freakish waves and and i don't know whether the volcano being erupted in the caribbean is linked to climate change but the idea is that the world is very unstable right now pre pandemic post pandemic during pandemic but the climate is probably the biggest fear of them all and i listen to an audiobook of Greta Thunberg the girl who basically striked against school a Swedish activist and she spoke about you know nobody's too young to make a difference but big governments and organizations and corporations multinational guys need to understand that you don't get another planet you know with every other woe in the world it almost always passes but a planet is just going to degenerate if you keep destroying it and unfortunately the onus is not on the individual man and woman like myself swapping plastic straws for metal stainless steel straws it doesn't really do much you know i i know that there's a netflix documentary fish spiracy which spoke about you know yeah the fishing industry overfishing and so on and so forth but the point is is that big multi corp big multinational corporations 
and governments are responsible for the climate situation we are in today. It's not the ordinary man. I can recycle everything in my house. I can stop eating meat tomorrow, become a vegan, become a minimalist, never purchase anything that I don't need, reuse everything. Still, the planet is going to be in shambles because the leaders of our countries don't pay heed to individuals like Greta Thunberg, whether insulted by her age or gender. It's like nobody wants to listen. And I think this is something that's very important because it it, it affects black people probably more than the average person. Most people may or know, may not know about the case of Ella Kissy Deborah. And Ella Kissy Deborah was a girl in South London who passed away due to air pollution. And it was like the first case of her kind to actually be acknowledging that air pollution factored in her death. Which sounds crazy, just to say that the air we breathe is so dangerous that it can kill a person. I know she was living in an area right near the South Circular that is known for heavy traffic. And um, I was so hurt by the situation, I even wrote a poem about it. And it was just this, this solemn solemn eulogy to a girl that should have survived if not for the people around her listening to to climate change activists like it's 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 insanity that in the UK she's the first person in the UK to have air pollution listed as a cause of death a young girl of Ghanaian descent this is what has happened to her it doesn't make any sense, you know. But it's a step forward in acknowledging that the air we breathe is toxic and the onus on who to fix it is our governments. And ironically, I feel like there is a better literacy of medicine to some extent, or at least environment, due to the pandemic, with the understanding of transmission and masks and washing your hands. But it would be interesting to see whether it pervades, whether it lasts. I don't like the idea of ever not wearing a mask again, just because I don't know what people are carrying. It just seems like a, a fantasy that all of this happened. And we are expected to pick up the pieces. But just like coronavirus disproportionately affected, you know, BAME people, as they love to say, but Black and Asian people in particular, Environmental racism continues to affect black people. Just for the simple case of a lot of black people live in South London. South London has some of the worst air pollution rates in the country, if if not the whole UK, point blank period. And when people use the word environmental racism, they think to themselves, like, huh, it doesn't make sense that an environment can be racist. But that's, I guess, the lack of understanding as to what racism is. We keep thinking it's this biological understanding when it's it's a technology, as people I've, I've read, academics I've read, want to stress. It's very, like race is a technology, so racism. 
as a byproduct of that technology. It's just these systems and social stratifications that have been established by people who have tried to create a pecking order that doesn't actually exist. But it's global. It is global. You will see it in areas in Brazil whereby there are huge black black populations. I, I believe Brazil has a large population of black people outside of Africa. And look where the black people live and the rate of either air pollution, water pollution, any kind of pollution in a country that big. And you will see how black people dominate the areas with the absolute worst levels of pollution, you know? And bringing it back to Gardangmi people, it's like we've been sidelined. You know, Ghana is um, it's not too big a country, but you've got to realise Adair people literally live on the coast. It's very much like a peninsula, you know? It's like a small extraction from the um, mainland. So these are, like, slightly island people to some extent. Um, with diets that are predominantly fish and mining that is predominantly local from a lagoon. Like, I think to myself how I walk to the wetlands quite often. I have local wetlands near me. And I'm like, I believe it's the Europe's largest... Europe's largest um, wetlands where I live. That would be fantastic if it is. I'll just confirm it. Um... I actually live in Europe's longest market and Europe's largest natural reserve or something. But it's because it's all protected. So there's laws in place that protect these areas um, that the UK recognises as significant. Where I walk, these wetlands are fantastically maintained, always cleaned up, constantly have police patrolling, closed at a certain time just magnificent in their maintenance and they have the what well, i believe the legal legal status um now to be protected and not have that issue that so many people have with um yes it's europe's largest urban wetland nature reserve yeah and um just to not have that issue of essentially a corporation coming in and saying we want to mine here, like I'm pretty sure the UK would say no, or England would say no. I hope they never lease it out to anybody unless it's like very controlled because it's a magnificent aesthetic place to be. It saved me during this pandemic, you know, and um, it was only made open to the public four years ago. I had no idea about that. Bear in mind, I've lived here 10 years, so that makes sense, you know, um, because I never knew it was open six, seven years ago, but now I know that it is. It's just my favourite place to go to, and um, it makes me realise the importance of having nice neighbourhoods that are, like, aesthetically pleasing and that have natural reserves especially in a city like London, you know? I don't live in the Cotswolds. I don't live in an idyllic area like that. And so 
knowing the beauty of a place like Adafoa, knowing that Ghana is so high up on its tourism, I want them to recognise and respect the area that is bringing them so much money, first and foremost. Respect the chiefs, the custodial owners. They might not have legal status, but don't come and disrupt their land because of greed, economic purposes. Um, It's not fair. It's not fair. We're a better country than that, Ghana. You know, don't put the welfare of business over Ghanaian people for a quick buck. It won't be it won't be pleasant in the future. And let's all have a look at ourselves and leaders when we are thinking of what it means to develop an area, what we choose to exploit, what we choose to grow, who we choose to listen to. even with the LGBTQI population in Ghana suffering at the hands of the government, or even the poor girl at Kriem Polu, again, suffering under these very religious moral standards that shouldn't really be interfering in people's personal lives or their sex lives or even their public lives, you know, what kind of country are we living in if we're saying that it's a free society and all tourists are welcome just for them to just for you to switch your 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 perception and it's your own people who are being oppressed whether it be leasing their natural resources to corporations oppressing them because of their sexuality not allowing mothers to take pictures of their sons you know Ghana has to ask itself, who are we? That's the that's the question I'm gonna leave it at. And um I'm gonna keep an eye on these cases and see where they will go. Thank you for listening to this episode of me talking about these topics. I hope you enjoyed it and I look forward to making a new one in the nearby future. Bye. Have a good day, night morning or afternoon.